Welcome to the Healing Grove Podcast. I'm Dr. Kristen Ryman, an integrative holistic family physician, author of Life After Lyme, and host in this virtual space of learning, healing, and growing. I believe humans are like trees, and our physical limb is only one of many. Health on all limbs of the tree, emotional, conceptual, social, spiritual, is absolutely required for the whole tree that is you to be vibrantly well. I created the Healing Grove podcast as a place to showcase some of the world's best integrative and holistic medicine, to expose you to transformative tools and mindset shifts for all limbs of your tree. I hope you enjoy our conversation in the Healing Grove today as much as I enjoyed having it. Hello, Megan Twight. Hello, Kristen Ryman. How are you this evening? I'm good. I am good. So thank you, as always, for agreeing to do one of these installations in your journey to becoming a healer. You still feeling it? You still feeling it for this project? Yes, I think this is amazing. And it's it's helpful for me to reflect. And I think it's also really helpful for people to hear the journey to becoming a healer. Yeah, yeah, me too. Cool. So um, last we spoke to you, you were heading into your second month of surgery, but it was going to be general surgery, surgery at the VA, the Veterans Administration. Mm-hmm. Um, and that ended when? Friday. So, so three days ago. Just a couple of days ago. So tell us, tell us how was it? It was so different from trauma surgery. So last time we chatted, I was sitting in the call room at, what was it, 9 p.m. on a Friday, and trauma was its own animal, just like I had mentioned in that previous podcast. It was just a lot of intense injuries, a lot of gunshot wounds, um, just multifaceted injuries that required long hospital stays, and then general surgery kind of flipped that on its head, and it was really fast paced day in day out surgery. So I like to describe general surgery as anything from your chin to your, to your waist minus your heart and your lungs. So basically from your esophagus, your gallbladder, your liver, your intestines, um, your breasts, your pelvis, all those organs are things that are fair game for general surgeons and are things that I was able to have the opportunity to observe. Um, But the, the twist for me for general surgery was a lot of these patients were coming in the morning of their surgery, they were being operated on, and then they were leaving that same day, or they were leaving early the next morning once they've proven that they can go pee or they can eat some food without any discomfort. And that was just so fast paced for me. It was like, I barely got to say hi before they were under anesthesia. And then I barely got to say bye before they were out the door. So much, much less patient interaction um, in that side of surgery. So you're missing out on some of the continuity that you were really enjoying with the last few rotations, the relationships you could build. Yeah, I would say I, I really didn't get to build any strong relationships with these patients because of the extreme acuity of um, the time they spent in the hospital. So that was definitely missing for me these past four weeks, I would say. Did you spend any of those four weeks in clinic? Like seeing that patient? Mm -hmm. We did one clinic day a week. So every Friday, um, patients would come in 
for their post-op check or a lot of the patients that were seeing if they need surgery would come in. And that was a good opportunity to, to get to know people a little bit better um, in their story. A lot of, the, we had a lot of hernias, a lot of gallbladder removals. So really those visits were pretty self-explanatory. You go in, you, you know, palpate their belly, you realize they have a hernia and then, you know, that's it. But, um, I felt like I, I was able to get to know them a bit better in clinic, I would say. Mm -hmm. And tell us about, um, you know, each rotation, as I recall, my experience was each rotation has its own kind of culture. Mm -hmm. Was there a difference between the trauma culture and the general surgery culture that you could discern? Yeah. So I, one thing I noticed trauma, I felt like was a lot of medicine. So you were looking at the patient from head to toe, including all of their electrolyte imbalances. You're looking at their enzymes, you're looking at their CBCs daily. And so you really had to think critically about all aspects of the patient. And I think with general surgery, you're really focused on what problem is at hand because that's what you're operating on and that you want to make sure that the patient is safe for anesthesia. Um, but once they've been cleared for that, your, your main focus and your expertise is on that one entity that they are having looked at today. And so if it's a gallbladder removal, you're not worried about their, you know, past medical history or their hypertension or their any, you're not worried about much except for just getting that gallbladder out. And I think it's an art and a skill. And I really, I do enjoy being in the operating room. I find it fascinating. I like using my hands and being really involved, but the patient's asleep. So you don't, you're not going to be building any sort of relationships under anesthesia. And that, that's definitely a bit harder um, in terms of just trying to build patient relationships. Mm -hmm. Well, and also um, I think for you and um, and me, I, we think we share this. I found so much of the meaning in my work coming from relationships, 100%. you know, so much of the, you know, the, the feeling you have when you go home after a long day of feeling connected to people is sometimes what sustains you. Yeah. I really came, have started to come to the understanding of why I'm doing this. And I've, I've started to think a lot more critically because it's such a time commitment. It's such a life commitment. And if I don't know my why, it feels like every day is going to be a drag. So I've started to like, try to figure that out. And what, where I feel the most proud and fulfilled and like I'm doing a service to these patients is creating a safe space in an environment that is filled with fear and vulnerability. And I, I feel like that is my role. I really do. I, and I, I think that's why I struggled in general surgery because I would see them before the operation and, and sit with them and tell them what's going to happen and, you know, reassure them that everything was going to be okay. But then it was like that, the surgery happened, then they were gone and, and there wasn't much more for me to have said or done or impacted them. And so with that being said, I actually had a little bit of a 
spark moment. And I'm still trying to figure out what I want to do in medicine, but I actually got really excited about a surgical specialty. We at the VA, we do a lot of mastectomies, a lot of, um, if a woman has breast cancer and is needing a mastectomy, they are general surgeons perform those. So I got it to scrub in on a number of mastectomies. And then after the mastectomy, um, the plastics team comes in and they, depending on the conversation they had had with the patient prior, will do some sort of reconstruction, whether that's implants, expanders, flaps. And I had this desire to just stay in the OR and just observe because these badass women walked through the door and I was like, whoa, what are they about to do? This seems like it's going to be pretty cool. They started playing music and we weren't listening to music before. And it just felt like a different energy walked through the door. So I was like, I, I'm interested in this specialty surgery field of plastic surgery. So can I just sit? And, um, they're like, sure. So I stayed in there and it was fascinating because all these operations, you're constantly removing something in that is harmful to the patient. So we remove the gallbladder because it's infected or we remove the appendix because it's inflamed or we take out part of the bowel because it's herniating and you're constantly removing things. But this was a moment where they were just, they were giving something to this woman to then change her life. And I don't know, there was something so powerful about what they were doing and these women coming in and giving this woman who had been under anesthesia, didn't know that, or wasn't aware that she had her breasts were gone. And then next thing you know, she wakes up and there's something given to her that I think was really powerful by these plastic surgeons. And so I am having this moment of, is this something I want to do? Really, truly. And I've been exploring it. I've reached out to some um, research opportunities here and it's, it's real. It's something that I'm not just messing like, Oh, that was cool. It's, it was something that I actually felt like there was a bit of a spark. Wow. Yeah. Well, you did. I mean, you're lighting up just talking about the memory of that. What was the music they were playing? Katie, the first song that they put on was Katy Perry. And I was like, okay, this is great. <laughs> I can work with that. And they're two women partners and they they work at the VA, they operate at the VA and they have their private practice. And I was like, wow, that's pretty cool that you guys set this up and they have, you know, their best friends. They planned their kids around the like opposite time so they could take leave. And I was like, wow, you could do that. Like you could make those sort of relationships and build your practice around your lifestyle. And that's what their big thing was, is like, man, these general surgery residents are just going through it. And general sir, I don't, I I couldn't, I couldn't do residency in general surgery because it is just, it's an animal and they are, they're just exhausted. And I can tell, and I don't think I'm, if I had the passion and the excitement about general surgery, I obviously think I could push through those tired days, but I don't think I had it. So Okay. So what is, what is a, um, for those who've never done a general surgery residency, what does that look like beyond four years of medical school, you match in a residency program and then what happens? So you match into a residency program and then you have your four years of general surgery. And that's going to be 
if it, if it's not a specialty surgery, so there's plastics, orthopedics, ENT, um, and I want to say maybe op that's, I don't know if ophthalmology is a surgical specialty, but those specialty surgery, um, options are separate residencies. And then you have your general surgery residency. So you go for four years. And then from there, you could either specialize into cardiology or palm, or you could be a general surgeon. So it's an additional four years. And then depending on if you want to further subspecialize, it's an additional X number of years. Um, so for plastics, do you have to do general first and then you do plastics? You have to do some general though. Don't you do like an intern year in general? No. So they have an integrated program now. So um, you apply into plastics and it's four years, but you're, you're in a different cohort. You're not, you're not training identical, like with the general surgery residents, if that makes sense. Okay. Interesting. I think it's a bit different from when we, when I was going through it. Wow. Well, that's exciting. That's incredibly competitive. Yeah. Yeah. I know that one. Yeah. So that's the other tricky, tricky thing because people nowadays have decided to take year after med school, take years to do research years. And now, you know, once one person's doing it now, everyone in order to get into these competitive residencies, if you're not taking research year, you're at a disadvantage. Yeah. So it's just prolonging it even more. Well, I mean, a lot of people do research while they're in medical school and residency too. Mm -hmm. Is that a possibility for you? It is. And I'm trying to, and I've done a couple things with um, ortho surgery and it's just hard. I mean, your, your days are long and then to add, these research projects and writing papers and getting published and trying to apply for grants, it, it just adds, it adds another level. And that's why, you know, you become a competitive applicant, the more publications you have, and it makes sense, but there's a little bit of a, a plug and chug mentality of just like crank out as many papers, publications as you can, even if maybe it's not the most like fascinating topic because really a like longitudinal study a good study shouldn't take like two months so yes people are getting like oh I have 22 publications but part of me is also like okay I think I'd rather invest in something long term that has that I'm passionate about it's it's just a tricky research is a tricky thing as as a med student it's a really tricky thing now, do you have mentors or, you know, counselors, guidance counselors, research counselors, people who can talk to you about the different options and help you think through this? Yeah, we do. We have a lot of, we have a lot of support um, in terms of residency applications, as well as research opportunities um, here at, at GW. We have a lot of clubs within certain specialties. And so that also gets you pl- connected and plugged in. So I've been trying to utilize those as much as I can. But again, when you're working an 87 hour week, there's not a ton of time for (laughs) writing papers. I try. Extracurriculars. Yeah. Well, that's my next question. How are you, um, how are you taking care of yourself during this 87 hour average work weeks? Well, I've taken a huge deep dive into my yoga 
intention. I think that it was something that I had distanced myself from. And then I realized that it's actually so grounding for me. So I started back at a yoga studio near me and I've been going almost daily. And that for me, honestly, is a game changer. I go in the evenings um, because I, I mean, we have to be at the hospital so early um, that it, the evenings are really my time to just kind of wind down, clear out the head after the day. So that's been, that's been one thing that's been really helpful for me in terms of taking care of myself is getting back into yoga. Beautiful. I remember I really didn't discover yoga until after med school, like right at the beginning of residency. And once I discovered it, I was like, wow, this makes such a difference. Yeah. So if I'd had that in medical school, even better, you know, I've even realized starting my day with even 10 minutes, just giving myself 10 minutes of just mindful breathing of like any flow that comes to mind, even if it's not, not structured, it's just movement that's slow and that can be rhythmic with my breathing it sets a different foundation for my day it just mm-hmm. it lowers my heart rate i i don't know i just go into the day with a bit more sh- grounding and structure that i feel like it carry it actually does have a significant those 10 minutes can have a, a fairly significant impact on the rest of my day so that's what i've been doing so um, beautiful. I'm glad you're committing to that practice. Yeah. So what are you heading into next? Like, what are you already in, I guess? Because it's Monday here. It was day one today. We had an orientation. So I actually didn't get to see any patients today. We did. I'm now in psych. Um, so psychiatry at George Washington. George Washington is a voluntary psych center. So all of the patients there have um, chosen to admit themselves, which is very different from a lot of our affiliated institutions and where some of my peers are at, um, where it's involuntary. Um, so Meaning I think it's a danger to themselves or others. And so they're committed essentially for usually it's three days, right? And then they can demonstrate that they can come out after that. But so you're basically a p- place where it's maybe less acuity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it, I would call it less acuity, um, less harm, maybe harm to themselves, but um, pretty intense psychosis and like a lot of very difficult presentations. And it's a whole different type of medicine. It's all, I I feel very under-equipped, but I'm very eager to learn and to observe and to help um, in the best that I can. But it's it's a different animal than, than medicine. The mind is, is very powerful. Mm-hmm. So you had orientation today, so we're not going to hear much detail about it, but I'm excited to have you get to delve into this whole new realm before we talk any more about that though. Let's go back to surgery. Cause I, I, I love the story of your, you know, the women walking in and rocking out to Katy Perry. And I love the idea of like your brain getting like super excited about possibly that specialty. Are there any other high points that, or that you want to share from your month in surgery? I think it's maybe, I don't know if this is a high point, this is an observation, but there's just so much innovation within the operating room. That's fascinating. I mean, there's robots, a lot of our operations were laparoscopic and it almost feels impossible that 
you know, these people are walking out with incisions this big, yet they've completely, they've had a total sleeve gastrectomy. Their stomach has been shrunken to this size. And it's just amazing to me, the innovation and the trajectory of where surgery is going. Um, I, I was definitely fascinated by, by that. I would also say I learned the hard way, but, you know, as a student, you want to be prepared going into the operating room. You're going to get, we call it pimped. Did they say that when you were in med school? Yes. Mm -hmm. Attendings are constantly pimping you, which is them just asking you questions about the operation or, you know, testing your knowledge. Do you know what pimp stands for, Megan? Pimping? No, is it It stands for put in my place. Oh, no. I always, I felt like it was kind of, it was a, it was a verb that just made sense. Like I'm pimping you, but put in my place. I mean, that's kind of how it was. I was constantly being put in my place, but all to say, I think what I realized is saying something confidently, even if you're not right, is much more appreciated and respected than not saying anything at all and not and saying you don't know. So I've learned to be confident even even if I am wrong because a lot of the times what I'm realizing is they're not asking the question to see if you know the answer. They actually don't think you know the answer. And that's okay. They're asking the question to see how you can respond in a high pressure situation where there's someone above you interrogating you. So that's that was one of my big takeaways in the operating room is just own it. Own what you say. Say it with confidence. So uh, this is a term that I like to throw around in my training, which was misinformation with authority because (laughs) that's totally rewarded. And people often wonder, like, why does my doctor talk to me as if like they're always right? Well, because it's totally rewarded and the opposite is, is essentially penalized in training. Yeah. Yeah. So that fine line of like, when do I pull that out and when do I be a humble learner. I mean, it's, it's tricky. Yeah. You can't be too curious, but you have to be curious enough. It's don't ask too many questions, but show you're engaged. It's very, Mm -hmm. you're walking the fine line. Yeah. How are you managing the stress of that? A lot of students that I worked with over the last decade would say, this is just, it's an impossible situation because you're being evaluated by the same people who are, who you're working with and they're they're judging and assessing every single move and it's very intense. Are you experiencing that? Yeah, you do feel like you're constantly being evaluated everything that you do. But I think what I've come to realize is, and I think it's maybe easier said than done, but trying to just own your who you are and like just being authentically you is actually more appreciated than when you try to have all your ducks in a row and you come in really hot and swinging and you look like that med student that like woke up at 3 a.m. and has been, I don't know. I don't know why, but I, I think that we're all human. And at the end of the day, they really appreciate, you know, you putting in hard work, of course, but also you just coming as who you are and I've been really trying to do that and just 
you know, for rounds every morning, we go see all of our patients and we, the med students are the ones that present to the attendings and the team. And I, I try to take the approach of this is a conversation and I, I'm confident and articulate, but then at the same time, I, I try to keep it me and not force the things that I think are sometimes expected. It's hard. It's hard. But I really am, I'm really learning to not take things personally. That's been my biggest takeaway is they're going to come at you. They're going to, I had an attending say, you are so lost. And I was like, oh, I didn't think I was that lost, but okay. And, and later I came to realize that that wasn't her intent. And she wasn't, there was a lot more going on than just that comment, but it's, it's really easy to take things personally. And I think that's been my, what I've really been having to try to do to make sure I don't get caught up in the weeds. Cause it's so easy to be like, totally knocked down over and over again and not be able to get back up. And it's hard, um, yeah. but I'm learning. Um, can you give us an example of something that you're intentionally bringing to work with you? That is your way of staying connected to Megan. Uh, yes. I think, well, I wear all my jewelry and I usually just in terms of appearance show up as who I am versus like trying to be more like professional I guess I I'm very professional but it's hard to say it I try to like engage in who I feel like I am in my heart and how I um show myself externally and then I think I just try to laugh during rounds or like you know if if I say something and they're like wow that was so off base like be able to laugh about it and not have it be too serious. Um, what else do I do? I can't, I, it's hard for me to even think of the things, but oh, when like Katy Perry came on, you know, give a little jig, kind of let loose a little bit. Um, I don't know, not take it too seriously sometimes. I think those are good. Those <laughs> are good intentions. It's hard. I had a, a student who I was coaching once who was in a huge dilemma about carrying a certain colored backpack mm. because he people would give him flack for carrying this bright red thing around and not kind of like fitting in or looking you know more professional blues and blacks and whatever yeah. I mean it's a tough culture you know it's a tough culture there's a hierarchy that's pretty explicit and implicit at the same time and and you get kind of punished socially for not following a hundred percent yeah it's supposed to be kind of invisible that's the that's what I've kind of understood from what the residents are expecting is that not you're supposed to present but you're don't be flashy don't be um in the way don't ask too many questions like at the end of the day just you know do your job and I, I can see why that person was feeling that way about their backpack, to be yeah. honest. Yeah. Don't stand out. Yeah. What was the hardest thing about the two months of surgery combined? Combined? Absolutely. This patient that I followed on trauma for four weeks and still 
two weeks ago, he was finally discharged, but I went and back to the hospital while I was at the VA to just see the updates and check in. And that patient truly has changed my life in terms of how I view patient care. In fact, this is a card. I have it right about my laptop every day that his family wrote to me. Um, and I think, I, I mean, that has to be it because it's the thing I've thought about the most while I've been in this rotation. It's the thing that, um, I care, I cared about the most really was, you know, this, this poor kid who, who was shot in the liver and, and had to, came back to the hospital after we thought we had fixed him and it, it was just a long journey and he had a lot going on. So that was my most, I don't even know what the right word is, but valuable memory, most important memory that I had. Yeah, yeah. A huge impact on you. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the one of the main lessons you've been taught by this patient? I really think mm, so the first thing that came to my mind, but I don't think this is actually what it is, but was medicine is not always the miracle you thought it would be. And that's simply because I was so I was so rocked by him returning to the emergency room two days after we discharged him because I I just felt like if you leave the hospital, it means you're healthy enough that the whole team has decided that you are safe, you are well, and you're going back out into the world. And I just had this vision of him, you know, returning to like running and, and then it hit me like a train that you know there are complications and things don't things are not linear medicine is not linear um so i think the takeaway is 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 that you know things are not always going to be as perfect and the trajectory is not going to be as linear as you may think it's going to be but that's okay and he's okay he really is and I had a lot of guilt when he came back. I actually felt like it was our fault and I felt like he was going to not trust me. But the reality is that complications happen in medicine. And I think that, that being able to handle that is what makes a good doctor and being able to adjust and adapt and recover from things maybe not going as you planned is really important. Yeah. I mean, it's a good life lesson. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Any last words to leave with this audience of people who are getting this glimpse into your life (laughs) and your trajectory and your, your education? Any, anything else we haven't touched on that you'd like to share before we end, Megan? No, I think, you know, as, as much criticism as, as the system gets, I think being a med student, 
I'm realizing how much there is to learn. And there's a reason this process is slow. And there is a reason that we, our responsibility grows very slowly. And so I'm actually, I'm starting to become more and more grateful for the system because I think it's, it's teaching me a lot more than I was expecting. And I'm also realizing I'm, I'm not as equipped as I believed I was going into third year. So I just have, I do have gratitude for the residents and the attendings that show a lot of interest in med students and, and value their growth because they were a med student at one point and, you know, it's not an easy place to be when you don't know very much, but your the expectations of you are really high. So I really just am grateful for those that recognize that, but also are there to lend a helping hand and value teaching us. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And, and at the end of the day and the end of their lives, you're going to be taking care of them. So right, it, behooves them. <laughs> yeah. it behooves the people who are further along to lend a hand and a leg up yeah so well thank you again Megan this was amazing yes thank you for having me I'm grateful and here we go with psych a whole new journey a whole new journey I can't wait till the next installment to see what that looks like for you from your vantage yep I agree looking forward to it thank you Kristen yeah, you're welcome. I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Healing Grove podcast. If you liked it, please be sure to like and subscribe. And if you want to deepen your experience further, consider grabbing a copy of the Healing Grove playbook. With journal prompts for this podcast and 41 others, it's the perfect place to record your learnings, keep track of the tools you explore, and reflect on your own experience. Finally, it's important to mention that even though I am a doctor, nothing you hear on this podcast, whether from myself or my guests, constitutes medical advice. Any intervention you try should always be discussed with and supervised by a trusted member of your own healing team. Thanks for listening and see you next time in the Healing Grove.